On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to continue our look at uh, pandemics. Yeah, we want to talk about some historic pandemics tonight, realizing that we're not the first people who dealt with such a thing like this, and we might gain some lessons from looking at things that have happened in history. It's going to be an interesting discussion, and we're going to get started on it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, uh, April 23rd, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Glad to be with you. Kyle's with us tonight. Kyle, thanks for being here. Good to be here. Looking back, looking forward to being back in the studio with you, uh, Kyle, behind the controls. Uh, looking forward to things getting back to normal. And along those lines, we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, historic pandemics and what we learned from those uh, tonight as we deal with uh, the situation at hand. Uh, we want to hear from you tonight on the program, and uh, you can email uh, questions at collegeview.com, or you can sign in the chat room with other listeners, and we'll be monitoring that chat room. It's the best way for you to get your comments heard on the program tonight. Uh, but uh, earlier today, you sent out some uh, some discussion questions for us to consider tonight. Yeah, Jacob, but uh, I was thinking we're going to talk about some, some historic pandemics tonight, but I'll tell you, there was nobody in any past pandemic who was trying to conduct an online uh, program such as the virtual Bible study. So we're breaking new ground in that regard, and, and we don't actually like it very well. Well, you're saying, it, you're saying this is worse than any other pandemic, This uh, trying to do this? In, in regards to trying to do an online program, this is the worst pandemic ever. <laughs> you're saying the Egyptians had it good when they had the boil. Well, the Egyptians up. weren't messing with this all this technology, uh, uh, so they, okay. they, they had it better in that sense. Okay. Uh, but maybe – even possibly by next week, uh, if we understand what's going on in our state of Tennessee, potentially by next week we'll be able to get back to uh, a into our studio and do a more polished presentation of the virtual opportunity. We hope that's the case. Um, as you mentioned, Jacob, earlier today we sent out a, an update to our email list. If you're not on our update list, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just say add me to your list and we'll do that. If you're on our list, you'll get the email about midday on Thursday telling you about our topic for discussion. And today we sent out these questions. Number one, what do we know about the Spanish flu pandemic in 1917 and 18 and how churches responded to it? Number two, list some of the notable pandemics, plagues, and pestilences that are in the Bible and why did they happen? Number three, can we say that the current pandemic parallels those recorded in the Bible? Specifically, has the pandemic been sent by God? Okay. Number four, might this current pandemic be a sign that the end of the world is near? Reference Matthew 24. 
Number five, do natural disasters, pandemics, and so forth argue against a benevolent God? There's a lot of suffering going on. Does that say, does that mean God is somehow letting down on his uh, benevolent attitude? A lot of folks would say that that proves there's not a God because things like this go on. Yeah, so we'll talk about those kind of things in our discussion. Uh, I don't know that there's any necessary housework that we need to do here other than tell people get on our mailing list. Also, if you want a bumper sticker to help us spread the news of the virtual Bible study, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Not that you're driving anywhere right now, but when you start driving again. While your car's sitting in your driveway, maybe somebody yeah. will, will see it there with a bumper sticker on. Yeah. Also, uh, in regard, we have our Facebook page for the Virtual Bible Study. And if you, if you are an active Facebook participant, which I'm not, but if you are, uh, uh, like it on Facebook and share, uh, that information and news about our program with those who you are associated with on Facebook. So that would help us too. All right, send an email to questions at collegeview.com to get that bumper sticker and help us spread the word. Uh, they're signing in the chat room tonight. Uh, Kevin is in Westchester, Ohio. That's the Cincinnati, Ohio area tonight. I assume Kevin and his wife are still uh, isolated from each other. down. Well, they can't. Yeah, his wife's in Florida. He's in Ohio, and there's laws against traveling, and they can't, they can't uh, get together. So, All right, so, Kevin, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I see Lou up in Minnesota, Brian in California, Eric's in uh, Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, sign in with other listeners there and uh, share your comments as we look at these historic pandemics. Okay, so you're going back to 1917, 1918? Yeah, so we asked the question, what do we know about the Spanish flu pandemic in 1917? It also ran into the year 1918, so it's kind of interesting, almost. Exactly 100 years ago, a little, just slightly over 100 years ago, uh, there was a very notable pandemic. Uh, as you think about it, some of our near relatives lived through that time. My grandparents would have been living in that time frame. And, and, and you who are listening, some of your kin folks, no doubt that you knew and have known, lived in that time when they dealt with those kinds of, of things. And it was terrible. It was really awful. Uh, something on the order of 50 million people died worldwide in the Spanish flu pandemic. It apparently, it, it, it apparently got spread worldwide because of World War One, and uh, especially as World War One was winding down and troops were coming back from Europe, uh, they they brought it. They brought. Our, our military troops brought it from World War One, brought it home to the North American continent, and uh, it got really bad. It, it was it was bad. For instance, uh, here in Tennessee, in Nashville, Tennessee, it was very bad. Lots of people died in Nashville. Uh, I read one article that said uh, uh, the first case of the Spanish flu in Nashville was in September of 1918, but by November. 1,300 people had died in Nashville. Uh, a high percentage of the population of Nashville ends up being infected, and many died right in Nashville. Uh, I think 700,000 people died in the U.S. and 50 million people worldwide. As you can imagine, that was, that was a big, big crisis, way bigger than what we're dealing with. The, the infection rates and the mortality, way higher than what we're seeing in, in this current issue. So you think we got it bad. Imagine 100 years ago the, what the people were dealing with. 
and know, too, that they would not have had things like antibiotics. They didn't even, penicillin hadn't even been, you know, developed uh, in 1917. So they were, they were going, uh, the reason why the mortality rate was so high is because people would get it, they developed pneumonia, they'd die from it because there was no way to treat that. Uh, and so beginning in October, uh, here in Tennessee, the Tennessee Health Department advised churches to suspend their Sunday meetings. Uh, and most churches complied with that. So isn't that interesting? They were dealing with the same kind of governmental urgings concerning assemblies and limited assemblies uh, that we are dealing with now. Uh, as, as things got worse, uh, we know that uh, the government continued to recommend the canceling of Sunday services, uh, and even a lot of church leaders were begging Christians to observe strictly uh, the regulations that were being put out. In, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, M.C. Curfees, who was the preacher for the Campbell Street Church in Louisville, Kentucky, sent a letter to his members, uh, and he announced to them, that the congregation would be complying with the Kentucky State Board of Health recommendation. He said, quote, it behooves us to cheerfully submit to this order, to exert all our energies in an earnest and sympathetic effort to cooperate with the benevolent purpose of our government to check the deplorable disease. Um, so, again, it's interesting that they were debating these same sort of things, and some were quick to say, yes, we have to do what the government says, uh, but some did not. Uh, uh, in in Texas, uh, a preacher named I. W. Dunn in Paris, Texas, refused to suspend meetings. Said we must obey God rather than men. Isn't it interesting that the arguments were almost exactly what we're hearing today? Uh, e. C. Fuqua in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, he said he keenly felt the obligation to meet weekly on the Lord's Day. Quote, carefully observing government restrictions, we feel free to meet a few brethren in private home and worship according to the New Testament teaching. Uh, the assembly thus formed is not unlawful, and the worship rendered is lawful to God, which demonstrates loyalty to both. There's an interesting thing. They were dividing up the assemblies. We're, we're hearing some churches are t who, are, who are talking about that. Divide the church up into smaller groups. Have them meet separately. And have full worship services, including the participation in the Lord's Supper. That's a, that's a debated issue today and was apparently uh, debated back in that time. Uh, a guy named McQuitty, J.C. McQuitty, was the editor of the Gospel Advocate at the time, of course, uh, uh, strongly based in Nashville, Tennessee. He felt strongly about the weekly assembly. Uh, but he said this duty was superseded by mercy at times. Uh, just as it was a matter of mercy to care for the sick at the home instead of attending weekly services, it is also merciful to forego meeting with the saints if it would jeopardize the lives of members of not only their families, but the families also of many other people. Uh, he thought it unnecessary to assemble in large crowds to break bread in the face of the proclamation of the government. Instead, Christians, while meeting with a few in homes, should observe the restrictions cheerfully, seeking to lead quiet, holy, and unblameable lives. So I just thought it was kind of interesting to, to put some historical, fairly recent historical reference on this idea of 
pandemics and dealing with pandemics and Christians and churches and how they respond to it. It wasn't that long ago, just just barely over 100 years ago, when the Spanish flu was a horrible thing going around, killing lots of people. And it presented the exact same challenges to Christians and churches then that we are seeing now. And we also see some of the varied responses to it. But I'll tell you something else I, I took away from that. You know, we haven't even thought about the Spanish flu. I, I mean, I don't know that I've ever read much about the Spanish. I think I knew of it. Maybe I knew of it, but I didn't know anything about it until this came up. So a hundred years ago, I'm sure it was the only thing on anybody's mind. Now it's now until this recent episode, it was pretty much a forgotten episode. What does that tell you about our current crisis uh, in the future? Although we're very troubled by it right now, in the future. It will be probably a fairly much forgotten thing as people move on with their lives. Keep it in context, I guess, is what you're saying there. Keep uh, yeah. keep your perspective. Uh, here's what Nate responded to your questions. He says, uh, this is an argument I've continued to hear for not meeting in person and having virtual worship. According to history, the churches during this time did not meet. My rebuttal and question to that is this. Did it make it acceptable in God's eyes? Where do we see in the New Testament that it is acceptable to cancel the worship for any reason? And what can of worms does this open up once the virus scare is done? Why then don't we cancel for cold and flu season? Why then don't we cancel for severe weather? I fully agree with the statement my grandfather told his flock, uh, he shepherds, once this all began. Um, if you knew God was coming back at 9.30 a.m. This, this Sunday morning, where would you want to be at 9.30 a.m.? So... Uh, well, that's a that's a great question, and I think all I think really all honest brethren say I'd want to be in worship. But having said that, understand that sometimes we're not. Sometimes if we're sick, sometimes if we're home caring for a sick person, uh, we don't meet, uh, and that's understood and that's allowable. Uh, sometimes if the weather's bad enough, I know our friend Dwight up in Iowa has told us there have been multiple occasions up there when a blizzard blows through and the state government closes down the roadways. You are not allowed by law to be on the road. Well, then you don't, you're not able to assemble to worship that. And that's understood. Nobody's ever questioned that. And so I think, you know, we've got to make sure that we understand that it, each person must make their own decision. Even here where we're, we're working desperately to maintain an assembly on the Lord's Day. We'll talk maybe at the end of the program a little bit more about what we're doing here at College View, but we've got members who are not coming, and some of them are not coming because of health concerns. That's their decision, and we understand that. Uh, We just know that these kind of things challenge each person and also challenge each congregation in dealing with it. Yes, absolutely. But the, the priority is there. We need to be assembling to the best of our ability, um, and that's what we're trying to do. But uh, there are folks who are struggling with uh, how to how to do that uh, in these times, and it's certainly something we need to be praying about and looking to God for guidance. And the history, as, uh, as Nate adequately pointed out, the history doesn't uh, set a precedent for us as far as what's right or what's wrong. We can't go back and say, well, this is what they did, and so we're okay. Yeah, and the fact that that churches back in the Spanish flu pandemic canceled services is not justification for us to do the same. I mean, that was a decision they made in the time. We've got to make our decisions too. And, 
And you, you can't justify your action based upon what others have done in any regard about anything. And I think that's, I think Nick's observation there is absolutely Even true. personally, we can't. You know, this is what I've always done, so it's okay. No, we got to make sure that we go back and we check up with the scriptures and make sure that we're, we're in alignment. Mohan in Illinois says, as I understand it, they also had shutdowns for the Spanish flu and required masks to be worn in some places. Uh, the precautions taken should have been better, he says. Uh, churches contacted newspapers to print sermons when they could not meet together. Uh, so back then it was the print, printed media that was the, uh, method of, uh, dissemination of your, your, your message. Uh, even, uh, you know, it would have been probably pro- before, uh, radio was even very popular back then. Uh, so the newspaper was the way you got your message out back then. Uh, uh, Kevin says the Spanish flu was hardly known about except by name before February of 2020. Exactly. That's what I, I think that's right, Kevin. And, and you think about it, and, and the uh, coronavirus pandemic of 2020 will be like, like that in a few years. We won't, we won't, people won't be, the next generation won't even acknowledge what we're dealing with right now. Time to get a break. And uh, during the break, we'd like to take your comments. Um, send them in in the chat room or via email tonight. Uh, next up for us to consider. Okay, the next question that we want to look at uh, is uh, list the notable pandemics or plagues that are, are mentioned in the Bible, uh, and why did they happen? All right, we're going to get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is harder than living them day after day. It is better to be faithful than famous. Here's a good test. Are you willing to act on the advice you give to others? Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program uh, tonight. Uh, We appreciate you being here. Uh, We uh, are talking about historic pandemics tonight and uh, the the Spanish flu of 1917 and 1918. Uh, Interesting how folks were dealing with the same challenges and questions that we're dealing with today. Um, and uh, now the question uh, is... Uh, Kevin, Kevin just put in uh, some, some other plagues that have affected people. Uh, in the last century, cholera killed 300 million. The Black Death or bubonic plague killed 75 million. Uh, malaria kills on the order of 200 million uh, in the last century. About 2 million people every year. Wow of color of uh, malaria so yeah I mean in in the big picture of things what we're dealing with is not that big 
And it does. Uh, you know, think we're, we're still, we think we're so advanced that uh, we can we can deal with any of these medical challenges. We got the answers. We got the medical technology. Not so. Uh, it does help us to sort of, um, Kyle, um, put some of our advanced medical uh, technology, put it in perspective that, hey, we're not in as much control as we think we might be. Well, no, I mean, our technology, which if we have masks, we have uh, PPE, personal protective equipment that we use in hospitals, and even we're starting to get ramped up where I work at, so it's just possibilities of things. But, I mean, all these masks, we can still get them though we protect ourselves, but, I mean, in a grand scheme of things, this will be forgotten. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know the statistics about the Spanish flu until I looked at it. Yeah. As, uh, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle, I don't know if all our listeners know Kyle's in the medical field. He's, he 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 is a healthcare professional, and so he's dealing with a lot of that stuff. But even you, Kyle, I think would be uh, probably shocked if you were transported in time back a hundred years and you had to deal with sick people with the limited medical facilities that they had then. It would have been shocking. Uh, so uh, Kevin in the chat room corrects it. It's not cholera that has killed 300 million in the last century. It's uh, smallpox. Smallpox, smallpox, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, next okay. question. On, on our first question about the Spanish flu and the church's response to it back 100 years ago, uh, our, our good buddy Kent down at Cal sent in a, uh, a comment about that in his email. And I'm not going to take time to read it because he had he had – we talked on the phone earlier today, and he had found the same – uh, documentation that I was referring to earlier, and so okay. his email very much similar to what I was mentioning uh, yeah. earlier. So thank you, Kent, for that. Kent, for writing that up, and we'll just we'll uh, we'll move on. And and Kent, uh, I think they're continuing to meet down there uh, and follow some social some distancing as they do that. Um, uh, but uh, they're having some challenges, I think, with folks uh, attending there as well, from what I can tell. Yeah, he said he thinks he got there's one member of the church there. He's not sure he's crawled out from underneath bed in the last five weeks so, so right yeah right okay all right so our second question was list some of the notable pandemics in the bible and that word pandemic is not in the bible but there are a couple of bible words that would be equivalents to it and one of them is the word plague uh and it's from a hebrew word uh, the word dever is actually translated pestilence or plague. It, it's found 46 times in the Old Testament. Uh, another Hebrew word, nagang, I'm not sure I'm saying those right at all. Uh, it's most often translated as plague. Uh, it's found 49 times as a verb uh, and seven times in the noun form. Uh, but both of those words, plague and pestilence, those would be the words that we would read in our English Bible. Both of those words, plague and pestilence, emphasize widespread destructive nature of the disease at hand. So uh, think about that. Those words combined appear over a 100 times in the Bible. So, and, and I'm sure there's some overlap. Maybe, maybe the word is used in, in several of those references referring to the same episode. But there were a lot of episodes. The point we're making from that, there were a lot of episodes of pestilences and plagues in the Bible. What we're referring to today as a pandemic would certainly fit within uh, the parameters of those definitions. Uh, so, uh, uh, 
what were they sent for? I, I don't know. Did we get any? Did anybody specify any specific ones? I think when you think plagues, the first one that comes to mind is uh, the plagues that were sent upon the Egyptians when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, "Let my people go." Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, I see Nate has mentioned the the plagues on Egypt. So has Kent. Kent said the plagues that God sent on Egypt, as recorded in the Book of Exodus, stands out uh, in our for our consideration. Uh, such does not parallel the modern pandemic we are facing. These plagues were miraculous, confirming the word that God, uh, uh, through Moses, was presenting to the Egyptian Pharaoh. Uh, so there, there were a lot of those uh, uh, plagues, and they had a purpose. And that was the, the main part of that question. What were the purposes of the plagues that we read about in the Bible? Uh, often the plagues actually were sent upon God's own people, the nation of Israel. Yep. Let me read a couple of references. Look, if, if you have your Bibles and have time to quickly turn to Leviticus, look in Leviticus chapter 25, no, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 25. Uh, actually, if we back up, let's go Leviticus 26, beginning verse 22. Uh, verse, 20, verse 21 will get you something even better. Yeah. yeah, 21. If you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sin. I will send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your cattle to a number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, I will walk contrary to thee. I will also walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. When ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And so uh, it's clear that Moses was actually warning the people there. They were entered into a covenant relationship with God. And he said, if you don't keep this covenant, then you can expect that I'm going to send punishments upon you he spoke about the sword of their enemies, and certainly we know that God allowed enemies to oppress the Israelites when they were unfaithful to him. But did you notice the, the plagues and pestilence that he said he would send as judgment against them? Uh, one other place uh, in Deuteronomy, we understand Deuteronomy sort of constitutes Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel before his death. And in Deuteronomy 28... Um, beginning at verse 15. It shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all the commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shalt thou shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thy hand for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings. Uh, thereby hast thou forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he have consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. So, again, it, it's clear that God used those kind of diseases as punishment to his own people when they were unfaithful to the covenant relationship they had entered into with him. Later prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel 
mention infectious outbreaks pretty frequently. And so uh, in regards to those kind of things, we know that God used them to judge his own people when they were unfaithful to him. Yeah, and, and the pestilences that God sent would make uh, make the conditions in New York City look like a, like a, a vacation, uh, yeah. a resort destination. Uh, in Second Samuel 24, as uh, David, uh, in error, takes the census of the people and God sends a pestilence upon them in verse 15 of Second Samuel 24, uh, the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. Almost sounds like it happened there in just a day, maybe, uh, this pestilence. So, um, it, uh, the, the numbers are staggering. Uh, when God sent pestilences in, in, in Old Testament times, uh, the, the extent of it was just mind boggling. Yeah, yeah. So, there's there's one side of the coin. God sent the pestilences upon His own people as judgment and punishment. He also sent it upon He sent He sent plagues and pestilence upon the enemies of His people. Uh, one reference here in Ezekiel 28. Uh, again, the word of, uh, beginning verse 20. Ezekiel 28:20. 20, uh, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Sidon and prophesy against it, and say, Thus saith the Lord. Behold, I am against thee, O Zidon. I will be glorified in the midst of thee, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall have ex- executed judgments in her and shall be sanctified in her. For I send into her pestilence and blood into her streets, and the wounded shall be judged in the midst of her by the sword upon, uh, upon her on every side, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So there's again another reference to God sending pestilence. God sent it, and he sent it. Uh, to punish the enemies of Israel. So he used it, he used it against Israel to punish them when they weren't able. He used it to punish the enemies of Israel. Uh, he used disease, pestilence, plagues, pandemics, if you will. Uh, Kevin in the chat room says one estimate of firstborn killed by the destroyer of, or the death angel would have been a hundred, two hundred thousand in just one night. Exactly right. Uh, And then guest 4430 says, all this information is very eye-opening and scary. Should we be frightened or just say, well, that's the way things are? Yeah. Kevin puts a little perspective on that. If if the firstborn killed in Egypt were somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000, which is estimated, and if the total population of the nation was 2 to 3 million with household sizes larger than ours, maybe even as high as 20. Uh, that, that was a high mortality right there uh, in the 10th plague that God sent upon the Egyptians. That was very high. Guess 40, back to S4430's question. Should we be frightened or should we just say, well, that's the way things are? Well, that sort of leads us to how much time. We need to take a break, Jay, but when we come back, Let's let's so so we've we've reviewed what were some of those notable pandemics and why they happen. We know why they happen because the Bible tells us why they happen. But the next question that we want to deal with when we come back from this break is can we say that the current pandemic parallels those in the Bible? Specifically has this pandemic been sent from God? All right, we're gonna get that on the other side of the break. Uh before we go, Nate set references the ten plagues, boil, hail, death. 
which all occurred because God's children and earth was not behaving as they should have. God sent plagues to humble his people, and certainly he did, and to bring their repentance. And so uh, certainly that was uh, God's uh, use of plagues in Old Testament times. Thank you for that. Nate, when we get back, uh, is this uh, parallel uh, to what we read about in the Bible, and specifically is God using these to punish as it been sent from God? Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. It's obvious that we do not have any of the original autographs of the Bible writings. By autographs, we mean the actual letters written by the hand of Matthew, Luke, Paul, Moses, Isaiah, and so forth. Therefore, the question arises as to the accuracy of our copies. How do we know that they are like the original? Textual criticism is the field of study which is devoted to examining this issue. Thousands of volumes have been written about this scholarly area of investigation. At the risk of oversimplification, let us illustrate how the process works. Joe writes a letter to Sam. Sam decides that others need to read what Joe had written. Having no copy machine available, Sam sends handwritten copies to Tom, Dick, and Harry while keeping the original himself. Later, Joe, who was the original letter writer, dies, and the original letter is inadvertently destroyed by Sam. At this point, how can Tom be sure that his copy of the letter is true to the one originally written by Joe? There's only one way. He can compare his copy to the ones held by Dick and Harry. If all three are identical, then Tom can conclude with a high degree of certainty that his copy is accurate. Obviously, the level of confidence increases with the number of copies available for comparison. This is how textual criticism works. We should be impressed that there are thousands of manuscripts and early versions of the Bible which are available for the kind of comparison we have just explained. Manuscripts are copies written in the same language as the original letters, and versions are the translations of the original text into other languages. Concerning the New Testament alone, there are over 5,000 manuscripts and 10,000 documents of versions. These provide abundant evidence for the purpose of textual criticism. Some of these date to the second century AD, reducing the time period when any errors might have crept into the text. And so the answer to our question is today's Bible like the original. We can answer with a very confident yes. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Steve Novorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The Virtual Bible Study rolls along. And we're back on the program tonight as we uh, talk about uh, historic pandemics. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, find out more about our meeting place at the at vvirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. We'll tell you more about our meeting times at the end of the program today as uh, those have been modified, but we are still meeting. Uh, Kyle uh, is also responsible for some content on YouTube. Uh, Kyle, you're still, even though we are in the midst of a pandemic, uh, the content on YouTube continues to increase. Well, it's down to <clears throat> just the one, well, my own uh, effect is one day a week. Just that Sunday uh, evening, uh, there'll be a lesson available at uh, last week. It's 530. So 5.30 and 6, we'll have a lesson up from Greg that he uh, will have ready for us for Sunday evening. So hopefully in the next few weeks, maybe the next month, 
we should be back to normal, I hope so. And those are some important lessons. Also, also, Kyle, on, on our, uh, on our YouTube channel called College U Live Stream, we've got two channels. The one you're watching tonight is the Virtual Bible Study channel, but on our other channel, College U Live Stream, we have that Sunday night sermon. We're studying about Bible authority. And then we also have our Wednesday night Bible class in which we're studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. And both of those are really important studies. So anybody wanting to do some extra Bible study, either join us during those live times or those are there in the archive form on our uh, channel, College View Live Stream. You've got some important lessons up there on um, Bible authority and the need for it. So. Uh... Uh, we would encourage our listeners uh, tonight to go out and check that out at your earliest convenience uh, as we uh, look consider that important topic uh, on those Sunday night uh, lessons. All right, so we're talking about historic pandemics tonight. The question at hand now is, are these is this like what we read about in the Bible? Is God using this, or is God are these from God? Has has this been sent from God? Uh, Kent in Georgia says no, not necessarily. The days of miracles have ended. While God does not, while God does work providentially, such as God working behind the scenes and does not confirm anything, uh, such problems I believe to be the consequences of sin being introduced in the world at the Garden of Eden. And he references First Corinthians 15, verse 21, in that regard. And I think Kent is right. The reason why, in our previous question, we said, "What about these historic pandemics in the Bible, and why were they sent?" The reason why we know why they were sent is because God told us why they were sent. Uh, and so we have revelation that relates to the sending of those plagues and pestilences and pandemics, if you will, in Bible times. We, we know because God told us by virtue of revelation. Revelation is concluded. God is not revealing truths to us today. He's revealed all truth. Second Peter 1, verse 3, uh, all things pertain into life and godliness. We already have that. So God's not revealing new things to us today. Therefore, we will not have an inspired prophet who will tell us God sent the coronavirus pandemic because the world is full of evil and God is judging the world on account of the evil that exists there. There's no way to know that because God's not revealing such information in our time. And, and therefore, we have to be careful because I know that there are people who are making that claim that this is a response. This is God's response to the great wickedness that's in the world today. And to that, we would have to simply say, we don't know. We couldn't we couldn't prove that. It may be. It may not be. God works providentially, as Kent said. But we don't know that he has specifically sent this disease Uh we just can't say because we don't have revelation. That's where this current thing differs from what we read about in the Bible. Yeah, but I do want to comment on uh, Kent's uh, comment that the days of miracles have ended. I don't think it would require miraculous for God to send a, a pestilence on uh, on the world today. That, that's not going to something. That's not something necessarily. It's miraculous. A, a pestilence could be sent just by natural means. And the spread of this pestilence is pretty well understood. We know how it transmits from place to place. Uh, and there's been a, there's a lot of study about that going on, uh, and we know a good bit about that. And so this is a natural thing. This is not a miraculous thing. This disease that's worldwide right now is not a miraculous thing. Uh, 
it's a naturally occurring thing, but it still could, it, God could be using such natural means to affect the judgment on mankind, but we couldn't prove that if our life depended on it because the scripture, revelation is ended and the scripture doesn't tell us so, so we couldn't speak about that with confidence. Nate responded and he said, while I do see parallels, I do not believe this is a pandemic sent from God to punish us. I do believe, however, that God uses events such as these to remind us who is in control. See the book of Job. The question is, are we listening? Good points uh, from from Nate there tonight. Uh, God does, uh, I think, use events like this, whether or not this is from him. God, I think, can use this uh, to draw his people closer to him. Uh, to uh, encourage repentance from those who have wandered from him. Um, and uh, the question is, again, are we listening? Because some folks, you look at the Egyptians uh, and, the, and the, the terrible plagues. I mean, you would have thought that if they'd had half, uh, half a brain, they would have said after the first one, hey, let's, let's change our ways. I'm done. I'm done. But they finally well, did. Pharaoh still didn't listen, even when his uh, advisors were telling him that he he wouldn't listen. And he, uh, he yeah. and his advisors they they destroyed this whole country. It's yeah. ruined. Can can you get rid of him now? And he's not yeah. wanting to do that. And so, yeah. but that's the that's the kind of uh, hard heartedness that we're even going to see in the world today. In, but you know, I've mentioned I, I I have been praying, and I've heard other men in our gatherings pray that. We pray that an outcome of this will be that we will come out the other end stronger spiritually, that our nation and the world will be turned in a more righteous path. I don't know how many times through the years I've heard people say, it may take another depression to get people to turn to God. Well, that may be what we're seeing here. And and, and so, again, there could be a silver lining to this dark cloud if it causes people to think more about God. And, and historically, that has happened. In hard times, people think more about God. If that is an outcome of what we're dealing with here, then that, that will be a good thing. Kevin has an interesting comment in the chat room. He said, God could destroy us in an instant, but when he has been displeased, he prophesies about what he will do to judge, then allows man to repent, but when doesn't, uh, the punishment came. Long-suffering and patient. God so sure. he says God is not some kind of random destroyer. So Kevin seems to think this wouldn't be from God because God hasn't necessarily hasn't prophesied of this event specifically and given folks time to repent. That's right. And, and plus, even though there's been a lot of death worldwide and even in our country, it's not even close to the scale of death and destruction that percentage-wise, at least, that happened in, in in the known pestilences and plagues that were sent by God. Kyle, any comments from you tonight? Uh, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, trying to compare our current crisis to things that happen in the Bible, I just think it's, there's just no comparison there. I just think this is, we don't have a prophet that can say that uh, this is from God for whatever um, sins we've committed. I just don't think maybe uh, in the context, when all from the fullness of knowledge, maybe we can know something then, but there's nothing to know now. So, so are you saying that uh, the plagues and pestilence, for right now. the pestilence in the Old Testament uh, that we read about, 
the death rate was significantly higher than two or two and a half percent. It's what uh, I guess we, you might be theorizing there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so, okay. All right. Let's grab our last break, Jacob, and we have two quick questions to deal with. Is this a sign of the end of times, reference Matthew 24? And why does God let, why does a loving God let this sort of thing happen anyway? All right. Is it close to the end of the time because we're seeing this pestilence? And uh, does this say something about God if this kind of uh, pain and death is occurring on a massive scale? We're going to get those thoughts to go to the top of the hour. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great. I'll see you there. Then pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study, by the end of March, more than half of all churches had canceled in-person services. For the churches who were still holding in-person meetings, attendance had dropped by an average of 45%. However, larger churches experienced even sharper drop-offs. Churches reporting a 1,000 more in weekly congregants had about a two-thirds reduction in attendance. And despite the proliferation of technology, tens of thousands of churches were not engaging their communities online. Of the churches surveyed at the end of March, 37% responded that they do not offer online resources in any measurable way. That information is via cdfcapital.org. The Word of God says in Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? And we're back on the program tonight. Uh, you, you want to be in the studio again, I think, it sounds like, from that recording. You, you were a little bit uh, sketchy there on that. Well, you stole a bunch of the equipment and took it to I your – and so I'm I'm working on a wing and a prayer. No, I didn't think about that. I I, dis, I disabled <laughs> you there, so you had to make do. Uh, we're talking tonight about previous pandemics, um, and uh, now uh, is this a sign that we're getting close to the end? Well, there are definitely people who are going to say that this is a fulfillment of something that Jesus prophetically mentioned, and, and they're going to go to Matthew 24. So in the question I asked, is this, could this be what Matthew 24 was talking about? And I think probably all who are listening to us live tonight know the answer to this, but let's just be reminded. In uh, Matthew 24, it starts out, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, as we've explained this, and I, I know that not everybody sees this chapter the same way I do, but I think it, it fits pretty well, this explanation. It's clear that Jesus was... He was at the temple. He said, this is going to be torn down. His his disciples 
imagine that the only way that could probably ever happen is if the Lord comes in judgment and the world ends. They had such confidence in Jerusalem and in the temple of Jerusalem. They thought they were talking about the one and same thing. When shall these things be? That is, when will the temple be destroyed? And what shall be the sign of that coming in the end of the world? They thought those two things were linked. But I believe they what they didn't know is that they were asking two separate questions. The one question is, when are these? when's this temple going to be torn down? And Jesus proceeds to answer that question in the verses which follow. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. These are the beginnings of sorrow. And he goes on to describe, and, and actually becomes the, the language becomes a bit more figurative as he's describing the great calamities that are going to come about in the time frame of the destruction of Jerusalem. Because he says in verse 34, so the language continues, it gets a little bit more figurative in nature, but the, the language of, of these signs, these impending signs, runs through verse 34, and, and here's the key expression. Jesus says in verse 34, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So in, in regards to the coming of uh, earthquakes, wars and rumors of war, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, all of those were the things that were signs, the impending judgment of God upon the city of Jerusalem. We know that all happened in 70 A.D., when the Roman armies invaded Jerusalem and destroyed it and tore down the temple, literally turning over every rock, uh, looking for bits of precious metals that they could scavenge from the site, that all came past in that generation. Uh, but then I think, uh, my view, I know, I know not everybody agrees. Some, some think the whole chapter is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. I think he actually changes gears in verse 36. But of that day, Speaking of the of his return and the end of the world, of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered to the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And so Jesus says in regards to his to his return and the end of the world, there won't be any signs. There are plenty of signs that anticipated the destruction of Jerusalem. There won't be any signs that indicate the, his return and the end of the world. So I think he was talking about two things. But, the, but what we can all agree about is that those pestilences mentioned in Matthew 24 were not mentioned as a lead-up to the end of time. All right. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Nate uh, sent in this. He says, I do not believe so. The scriptures state that Christ will return as a thief in the night. He's referencing 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, that both speak of Christ returning as a thief in the night. He goes on and says, if this is a sign of the end of times, it is certainly not coming like a thief in the night. So if there's if this is a warning sign, like, get ready. It's getting bad. This means Christ is just about to come back. Uh, no, that doesn't fit the uh, that doesn't fit the picture that is stated there in First Thessalonians five and, and exactly right. 
All right. Exactly right. Uh, and then Mohan says, uh, there is a slight possibility that it could be true if the economy goes away as a result of months of quarantine and if people start dying for lack of food and shelter. But more than likely, that will not happen. Please see if you can briefly comment on if it is a point appropriate to have peaceful protests on the virus lockdowns in some states. So there's another question we might get to at the end. Um, but um, Mohan says it's a slight possibility. Um, but uh, I think, again, the, the scriptures uh, tell us that there aren't going to be. Yeah, uh, I think I think we could say, I, to, to Mohan, I would simply say the, the end could be any time. We know that, we, and, and we're told to be ready. He's coming like a thief in the night, but, it, but there will not be. This pandemic cannot be, therefore, a sign or a sign of the coming of the end of the world. Kent says, no, they do not. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 35 speaks of signs regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. This event discussed a series of days. Matthew 24, 36 is a transition verse where Christ discussed a specific day that dealt with his final coming. The verses dealing with that topic indicate there will be no signs signs regarding the final coming of Christ. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think we're on the same page there and appreciate Ken's comment as well. All right. Uh, we got one last question. And the last question is, do these natural disasters, these pandemics and so forth, do they argue against a benevolent God? I mean, there's a lot of suffering going on. But it's, uh, as we've said, as we said throughout the program, I mean, we shouldn't feel like we're the only people who ever dealt with such things. Even in our recent history with the Spanish flu pandemic, there was a lot of suffering and death in a tremendous amount. But that goes on all the time in the world. Kevin's earlier comment about how many die annually uh, from malaria uh, and, and have died in very bad uh, pandemics that have gone through the world of black plague and so on. Uh, so uh, how come that stuff happens? Why does, why does a loving God, a benevolent God, why does he let that sort of stuff happen? That's a, that's a difficult question for sure. Uh, it's, again, it's, as Kevin's mentioned, uh, you know, it's not just this. It's uh, many things, just uh, common things as common as cancer and the pain and suffering that goes through with that. Uh, the children that are left without a father or mother, uh, just heartbreaking things that happen. Uh, Kyle, how about uh, how about your take on it? Does this show that uh, that there's not a benevolent God, but or that God's not benevolent, or that there's not a God at all because these types of terrible atrocities are happening in the world? Uh, well, I don't think it's God doesn't isn't cursing us with these. These are things that happen naturally. I think uh, this could be just a, one of the daily warning signs. Cancers around, sicknesses, die, people die daily from other diseases. I think that coronavirus will be remembered as something that's just, it's something we need to be prepared for. Are you prepared to die? If the coronavirus were to take you, are you ready for that judgment? I mean, I just, this isn't something that's a precursor to the return of Christ. This is not the precursor. Uh, okay. But God is benevolent. God wants us to be ready. He wants us to be, of course, he wants us to be with him in heaven, most of all. So I think we need to be prepared for that above everything. All right. So. Um, you know, I, I think Kent's email mentioned this earlier. Really, when you think of all the, the sickness and death and, and all the suffering that exists in the world, 
If you want to trace that all the way back to its root cause, it's because sin entered the world. Because in the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, at verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, and, and so everything was perfect. When God had things the way he wanted it, everything was perfect. It was very good. What changed was when men, when Adam and Eve decided to sin, and sin entered the world, and we know that death and suffering was a consequence, because that's actually spelled out for us in chapter 3 of Genesis, that that suffering and death were the were part of the consequence of sin entering the world. And so I, I've always answered, you know, why does God let that happen? And people sort of want to point a finger of blame at God. I, I, I think if you want to point a finger of blame, point the finger of blame at Satan, because that's where it ultimately rest when god had things the way he wanted it everything was perfect all right uh that's right um uh, but uh, we also have then the the question then uh, so if god has historically sent pandemics and uh well we don't know could be sending a pandemic today does that mean that god's not benevolent you say you say well god he didn't want this uh sin is what caused all this well what about god when he used these things. Okay, so I got your point. In other words, we know. We, we can't say so sure about this one, but we know historically that God has sent pestilence and plague and pest right. and pandemic. So why would a loving God do that? Because don't forget, there's more than just one side to God. God That's is right. a loving, patient, benevolent God, but God is also a God of justice and judgment. And so evil must be punished. And so don't forget the upside of that coin. He's a good, loving long-suffering and patient God, but he's also a God of justice, and and sin must be punished. And so don't forget that other side. And there are always innocent victims of, of, of sin's consequences. And so maybe a baby gets sick. You think in some of those plagues and pestilences that some, some innocent babies didn't die? I'm sure they did. Uh and so those are the innocent victims of sin's consequences. And the, the comfort we can take from that is that those who die in innocence will be eternally safe anyway. So we can take that comfort. All right. Uh, Dwight's in the chat room. He says, just as a flood or tornado uh, or hurricane, these are all natural things that happen. Uh, remember, though, just because we all go through something bad does not mean God ha is doing this purposely to us. He allows it, though. And the Horwath family uh, sends in Matthew 5, verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sons to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But the great news for all can be seen in 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so God has been faithful. Uh, and he has provided us a way of salvation in spite of the sin that's in the world and the suffering that comes as a result of that. He does uh, provide us uh, with the opportunity to be with him forever in heaven. Uh, and then Kevin says, look at us at a simple fact. 2.8 million people die in the U.S. each year out of 330 million in the population. 70, 80 million people worldwide die each year. Death is the pain of sin. Exactly. That's the world we live in. Okay. Okay, Kent says uh, these things do not uh, speak, uh, uh, 
argue against a benevolent God. They argue the opposite, that God is both good and benevolent. In spite of all these problems that were caused by sin being introduced into the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve exercised their free moral agency, God provides natural law and through his providence gives us help in overcoming such. And so okay. we're, we're dealing with things that shouldn't be here because but they are brought here because of sin, but God helps us through them. Uh, Nate says God is also quoted as being a jealous God who does not take kindly to being second fiddle uh, to other things or to God, other gods. So that's so, the other side of God. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, and, and ultimately, and, uh, human suffering is a terrible thing to con- contemplate, not just for ourselves and, and to whatever extent we suffer, but when you think of the suffering worldwide and all the people who are hurting. But anything that draws us individually or collectively closer to God can be viewed as a good thing ultimately. All right, and we've got one for your stack here from Mohan. What about peaceful protest? And, and so okay. uh, with lockdowns or um, even just with um, uh, any kind of well, thing we may disagree with, can we pr- protest peacefully? I, I think, yes, a quick answer to Mohan's question. I would reference the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the book of Acts uh Let's see, uh, Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, verse 10, Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be a offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof thou accu- these accuse me, no man may deliver me into them. I appeal unto Caesar. And so Paul used his rights. He had rights as a Roman citizen. Uh, in chapter 16, when he was in Philippi, and he'd been beaten and thrown in jail, when they came and just tried to kind of shuffle him out of the city, Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, let them come themselves and fetch us out. So Paul, on more than one occasion, appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen. It's not wrong for Christians to exercise their their civil rights, their liberties under the law. And Paul set a pattern or example for us in that regard. So in regards to peaceful protests, those are guaranteed to us as citizens in this country. It wouldn't be so in every country, but in our country it is, and I don't think there's anything wrong with peacefully exercising your rights as a citizen. All right, we are out of time, but it's been a very good discussion. Maybe the last week we talk about this pandemic stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. Every week I think that. Yeah, Uh, but it's been a good discussion still. Things that we haven't talked about that we're talking about now. Kyle, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. It was good to be here. I look forward to you getting back in in charge of the switches and controls, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. So, real quick, real quick, we're out of time, but real quick, remember, if you're in Middle Tennessee and need a place to worship, we're continuing our parking lot services, our drive-in worship at 1030 on Sunday morning. You just stay in your car. We maintain all necessary social distancing, but we are able to assemble and observe the Lord's Supper and give of our meat Sunday at 1030 in our parking lot. And then remember our live stream sermon at, at 6 on Sunday night and our Bible class on Wednesday night. Sunday night, Bible Authority. Wednesday night, Book of Acts, go to College View live stream and find us there. All right, good discussion. When we get back in the studio, I want Kyle to reenact this. I'm going to ask Kyle a question, and he'll wait 10 seconds till he answers it. 
uh, we'll have a little, we got a little pandemic lockdown memory lane. Uh, yeah. but uh, thank you, yeah. Kyle, for being Kyle here. Kyle is way out there in the middle of nowhere. He's, he's, he's pulling that string as tight as he can to try and get yeah. the signal. He's yeah. got that can up to his ear, but yeah. it doesn't come through all that, the time. That doesn't work all the time. Thank you guys for being here and uh, thank you for listening. Hope you benefited from our study discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.